Good evening. Certainly, certainly glad to be here this evening. I want to thank y'all for giving me the opportunity and thank uh, Tom for sending me the invite and and uh, let me come here this evening to speak to you. I know you said you're halfway through. It's all downhill from here, right? Uh, the kids got to hear me uh, on Monday. We have the area Debo out there on Monday, so they get a little extra pain and suffering this week, so that's good. Open your Bibles if you would. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. I know I put this podium here, but I'm going to trip over here in a minute, so let's just get it out the way now, right? Matthew 9, starting verse uh, 35. Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. But the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. I hope and I, and I pray that that doesn't apply to the church today. But I think in some ways it does, doesn't it? You've got a theme going on this year, right? What's your theme? Hmm? Love God, love us, love you. But what does that mean? I'll go ahead and give me some feedback here. What, 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 what is the purpose behind that theme for the year? What's the meaning behind that? Okay, meaning what? Okay. Okay. And from that comes the loving others, right? Hmm? Have compassion for others. Look through Scripture. How many times does it talk about Jesus having compassion? Okay, and so we look at that theme, we think, how does that apply to our life today? I, I want to I look at some, you know, sometimes when we look at the life of Jesus, we look at his, his parables for, for lessons. Tonight I want to go to one of his miracles. Look at, look at his miracle, this miracle here, Mark chapter 6. And let's look at this miracle and watch the lesson, but I'm, I may kind of hit this from a little bit different perspective than what you've looked at it before. Mark chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 30. Let's read through here and, and see what this miracle is about. Then we'll go back and we're going to work our way through the passage. Mark six thirty. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. 
For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. He answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found out, and they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. There's your church potluck, right? Let, let's take a few moments this evening, and let's kind of work our way through this passage a little bit and talk about what's going on so we can kind of understand the scene and what's happening and see where's the lesson for us this evening. It starts out there in verse 30. It talks about the disciples uh, had returned to Jesus to all they'd done and taught. If you look back up earlier in, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out his disciples to, to, to go and to preach repentance and to cast out demons. And so they go out. Right after this, we have the death of John the Baptist recorded. And so the disciples come back to Jesus and they're excited. You ever go off on, you know, many of y'all go off to Horizons, right? How do you feel when you get back from Horizons? Excited, right? Are you tired? Tired, you're excited. You go off on a, a mission trip or go off on, you know, some, some, some good work like that, and you're, you come back and you're, you're excited for all the good things that happen, but you're also a little tired, right? And so they, 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 they go off and, and they do the work that they're called to do and they come back and they're excited and they're telling Jesus all about all things they did. And, and what does Jesus say? Jesus tells them, says, well, come, let's, let's go off to a desolate place by ourselves. Why would, he, why would he tell them that? Why would he have them go off to this desolate place by themselves? If you notice, it says, but there was great crowds all around them, and there was no leisure even to eat. You ever been so busy you couldn't eat? Some of us wish we were a little busier so we couldn't eat, you know. But, but you know, you get so busy that even, even taking that moment to stop and get something to eat seems difficult to do, doesn't it? What's the issue that's going on? What's the probability of what's going to happen to the disciples if this continues? Worn down. Burned out, right? 
What happens when you get worn out? When you get burned out? No longer doing the work you're supposed to be doing. No longer have that zeal and that passion for it, do you? So Jesus, he knows what's going on. He knows what's happening. And he says, come on. Let's take a break. Let's go over here to this desolate place. So they could rest. Now, this is probably... I'm sure Tom can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think this is the only time... Jesus and his disciples get in a boat and there's not a storm. They get in a boat, they go across the other side, and all the people all around, they they recognize him, they know what's going on. They run ahead and get there ahead of Jesus and his disciples. I wonder what the disciples thought. We're going to put ourselves in their, their position quite a few times this evening, but I wonder what they thought, you know, Jesus said, let's, let's get away from these people, and yet here they are. What do we do now? And so Jesus gets out of the boat, and what does he do? He sees this large crowd. And what does he do? Y'all go away. Leave me alone. I ain't got time for y'all. We're closed. What does he do? It says he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were, they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And what did he begin to do? He began to teach. That's not at all what he had intention to do when they left, right? The intention was to take the disciples over to this desert place where we can kind of rest. They don't get burned out. They, but the crowd, they had other plans. And so Jesus begins to teach them. First, first thing I want you to think of. Who did Jesus ever turn away? I can't think of anybody. So Jesus begins to teach this crowd. Okay? Look at verse 35. Things are going to start to get a little bit interesting here for us. In verse 35... And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Let's be honest. Is that not the sensible thing to do? They're in a desolate place. There's no place to get food where they're at. Anybody here ever drive through West Texas? You, know, you drive for hours, and it's a straight road, and it's flat, and you can see for miles and miles and miles, and there's nothing out there. Hoping not to stop and get gas, right? Because you're out of luck, right? Well, here they are in a place like that, and the disciples are saying, it's getting late, Jesus. You know, look at the time. It's getting late. We need to send these people away so they can get food. That, that's reasonable. That's sensible, isn't it? Send them away so they can get food for themselves. What does Jesus say? 
Yeah, isn't that amazing? He says, you give them something to eat. Now put yourself in that, that disciple's position. Maybe a little tired. You're excited. You had this great mission trip and everything's going great. You're in this desolate place to be alone. These people come all around. And they start gathering around and it's getting late now. You're tired and maybe a little cranky. You know, Jesus, it's late. We need, we need to send these folks away to get food. And, and what does Jesus say? No, no, you, you give them something to eat. Okay, who's got food of them here? Anybody ever bought food with them tonight? No food? What if I get hungry? So Jesus looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. How are they going to do that? Disciples answered, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? How much is a denarii? Some of you have a little footnote in your Bibles. I know you do. A denarii is about one day's wage for a laborer. 200 days wages. That's a lot, isn't it? Let's, let's, let's kind of put this into modern, modern day terms if we can. The federal minimum wage, federal minimum wage, $7.25 an hour. If you work eight hours a day at $7.25 an hour, and you work for 200 days, now this is not taking out taxes because you know Uncle Sam's gonna get theirs, but your pay is $11,600. $11,600. Virginia minimum wage is now $11 an hour. I remember working for $4 an hour and being happy with it. You know, $11 an hour times eight hours a day times 200 days $17,600. That's a lot of money, isn't it? So let me ask you, Luke, are you going to take $11,000 to $17,000 and put off for this one program? Why not? But it's for the people. Hmm. You know, we, we sometimes look at these programs that, that way, don't we? That's a lot of money. You ask me to take $11,000 or $17,000 and to put toward this one program that may or not give us any dividends. Where's the return? You know, that risk-reward thing, right? We're going to take this money, we're going to pay it, you know, for bread. We're going to give all these people bread and food. What kind of return are we going to get on that? That's how we look at programs, isn't it? Missionary comes in. 
and they're going to present their mission field to you because they, they're asking for support. What do you want to know? If we give you money, what's going to be the result, right? We want that risk-reward. If I put $11,000 toward this program, that's money I don't have for other programs, right? So maybe instead of that, you know what? Send, send the people away. We'll take that money and use it someplace else that's a little better, right? We got all these other little programs we can do. Let me tell you about a church in England. Corby Church of Christ, they run the British Bible School. Uh, Don and I were over there, our station there, 92 to 96. It's where we became a, a kind of associated with them and kind of got to know uh, the church there in Corby, England, in the British Bible School. Uh, Tony Stiles was the director at the time we were there. Great man. Their mission was they would take people in from Europe and Africa, come in, spend two years with them, they would train them how to be missionaries to send them back to their home countries to preach the gospel. What a great program. It cost the students nothing. They provided housing for those students. They took on 10 to 12 students a year. So one year, Tony told me, he said, you know, I don't know what to do. So what do you mean, Tony? He said, well, we've got 15 students that have applied this year. And we've never turned anybody away. He said, I guess we're just going to have to step on on faith and take all 15 students. And have faith that things are going to be provided. And guess what? It was. We look at these programs with the dollar signs, don't we? Instead of looking at the souls. How precious is one soul to the Lord? More precious than anything, isn't it? And so Jesus, back in Mark chapter 6, Jesus tells the disciples, you give them something to eat, and they're like, well, you want us to go spend 200 days wages to go buy, buy food. You know what the next thing Jesus says is? Have you considered all your resources? Now, he didn't use those words. Okay? But essentially, that's what he's saying. Have you considered all your resources? You know, I love trick questions, don't you? Think about this. Jesus knows the answer to the question he's asking. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. He knew, didn't he? So he tells disciples, go see how many loaves you have. Go, go check your resources. What do they find? How many loaves do they find? Five. How many fish? How many men are there? Five loaves, two fish. That's plenty to feed everybody, right? 
It is when you're counting on the Lord, isn't it? Five loaves and two fish. We know what happens next. Jesus blesses that food. He begins to break it, to separate it. Not, not only is everyone fed to their full, they are satisfied, they're filled. They took up how many baskets full? I'm going to be honest. It sounds a little bit like some of the potlucks we have. You ever show up at a potluck sometime and it's like you first get there and it's like, man, I hope nobody shows up for potluck today because you ain't got no food. And then by the end of it, it's like, where did all this food come from? Put yourself in that, in that position of the disciples. Through all this story, through all this event, they're tired. They've done some great work for the Lord. They've come back. They're expecting to go off and be by themselves to get that reprieve. And instead, the crowds follow them. And Jesus begins to teach them. He had that compassion. What is compassion, by the way? How do you find compassion? Hmm? Mmm. Any other thoughts? I love that. Putting yourself in somebody else's place. Hmm? Empathy. I, I, I went to the most credible source I could find. That's dictionary.com. Um... Compassion, a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. You know, everything we said fits that, doesn't it? If I was to give a definition of the compassion that Christ had, that nails it, doesn't it? Sometimes we use the word pity or mercy. Right? I think of over in Luke chapter 7, I believe it is, uh, Jesus is coming into the city of Nain and, and there's a, a, a funeral procession going on. And, and a widow has lost her only son. And what does Jesus do? He, he had compassion on her and told her, do not weep. And then he raised her son. Mark chapter 1. A, a leper comes out and runs up to Jesus and falls down before him and says, if you will, you can make me clean. And what does Scripture say? Moved with pity, he touched him and said, I will be clean. Sometimes we get caught up in those disciples' attitudes, don't we? It's all about me. Look at all this great work I went out and did. I come back. I'm excited, but I'm tired. I need to rest. And as the crowds push in, what do we want to do? Go away. I need some time. I'm hungry. I need to eat. And maybe we even think, well, we're doing the right thing by sending them away so they can go get themselves something to eat. When the reality of it is, maybe they need to be exactly where they are so that we can feed them.
Risk-reward, isn't it? Risk-reward. What, what's, the, what's the risk if we go out and we preach the gospel? Think about it. What is our risk today? Risk-reward, okay? Let's start with the reward part. That's the easy part, right? We go out and preach the gospel today. What's our reward? We're doing the will of God, right? If we're preaching the gospel from, from, from the standpoint, from the truth of the Bible, we're doing exactly what we need to be doing, what we're called to do. We're doing the work of the Lord. That's awesome. What's the risk? A few doors slamming in your face. Make it called a few names. Get mocked, mistreated, right? Go back to the first century. Look at the risk reward of preaching the gospel of the first century. Oh, the reward is still the same. You're doing the work of the Lord. You're proclaiming the kingdom of God and you're preaching the righteousness of God and salvation through Jesus Christ. What's the risk in the first century of doing that? Beating, imprisonment, torture, death. Did it stop them from, from preaching? And in some ways, it encouraged them all the more to preach all the more, didn't it? Um, let me read a statement out of Fox's Book of Martyrs. John Fox wrote this. It's all about the martyrs in the church and throughout the Christian uh, existence. And the first section of that speaks of the disciples, the apostles. It speaks of, of you know, uh, Paul and, and, and Peter and James and John. And it speaks of Timothy and Barnabas and others. Okay, as it goes through, at the end of that section... Now, it's talking about how they were martyred, how they were put to death, how they were tortured and put to death. At the end of that, it says, And yet, notwithstanding all these continual persecutions and horrible punishments, the church daily increased. Deeper rooted in the doctrine of the apostles and of men apostolical and watered plentifully with the blood of saints. What did he just say? They couldn't stop the spread of the gospel. The more they martyred and put Christians to death, the more the gospel spread. Think about it. John chapter 4. Excuse me, Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin. They're being threatened. And they're being told, quit preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and, and what do they say? Whether it's right to obey God, or to obey man rather than God, you must decide. But we cannot but speak of the things we have seen and heard. Risk-reward, what was it? Back then, beating, imprisonment, torture, death. Reward, heaven. I tell you, my book, that wins every time. What keeps us from taking the gospel to folks today? 
That's what I really want to get to. How much time I got left, Tom? Midnight? You know, what keeps us from taking the gospel out today? Work? You can't preach Jesus Christ at work? You can't be an example to others at work? Tom told you I spent 24 years in the Air Force. Had an awesome time. Great career. Loved it. Had an assignment at F.E. Warren Air Force Base, Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I worked for this guy. Now this is my boss, my supervisor. He writes my annual performance reports, right? And to say he had a mouth on him would be, you, you, a sailor would blush with what he would say. Now, generally speaking, in, in the military, especially in the Air Force anyway, we're a little more professional than some of the other branches, by the way. But if a female was present, you kind of cut back a little bit on that stuff. He did not. If your commander was in the room, you, you cut back. He did not. Certainly if the base commander is around, you don't do that. Oh, no. Didn't stop him. We had a staff meeting one morning. After me, we all got up to leave, and he goes, Mike, I'm going to sit out for a minute. He shut the door, and I sat down. I thought, okay, what have I done now, right? He sits down with a cup of coffee, and he says, you're a Christian, aren't you? I had not said anything to him about church. I had not said anything about his language. I had not said anything to him. But he said, you're a Christian. Yeah, I am. He goes, yeah, I could tell. You don't talk like the rest of us. You don't get involved with the same things the rest of us do. And we had a nice conversation about it. I tried to get him to come to church and for Bible study. It never, never did happen. But one thing that did happen, if I was in the room and he started off with his multiple cuss words, he would stop himself and say, I'm sorry, Mike. Can you be the Christian example at work, at school? Absolutely. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be able to show Christ to others no matter where we're at? Absolutely. Isn't that what we're called to do? Can't we talk about Jesus Christ to our friends, to our co-workers, to our neighbors, to our schoolmates? Now, Luke's got easy. Freed Harmon, right? Everybody Freed Harmon is a Christian, right? They're not, are they? Hey, Love at Christian College, we had Meatloaf go to there. You know, the old rock singer? Yeah, he went to Love at Christian. Go figure, right? Not everybody goes to Christian College is a Christian. Not everybody at work is a Christian. We know that. So what do we do? What stops us from preaching Christ? Oh, well, if I say anything, they're going to think I'm a lunatic or... or... What's your motto? Loving God, loving us, loving you. 
How is not speaking the gospel showing folks that we love them and that God loves them? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? So why don't we do that? Go to Luke chapter 7. Starting in verse 36 of Luke chapter 7. This is one of those scenes, one of those incidents that happens. Well, let's just read it. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So here's Jesus going into this house of this Pharisee. Now, this Pharisee's name is Simon. We'll find out here in just a moment. Behold, verse 37, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to, to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. Folks, if you ever had that thought in your head, you're wrong. Have you ever stopped and thought, well, I'm not going to tell them about the gospel because they're, you fill in the blank. They live on the wrong side of the tracks. They live in the bad part of town. They work at such and such bar or, or I mean, why would I take the gospel to them? They're a Democrat. Or why, why would I preach to them? They're a Republican. These things, whether we, whether we admit it or not, folks, these things hit every one of us at some point in time. Well, they're so far gone, there's no way they're ever going to accept the gospel, so I'm not going to preach it to them. How do you know? How do you know? But here is Simon the Pharisee, he wants his attitude. If he knew who and what sort of woman this was. Really? Racist much? Bigoted much? Folks, those things stop us from taking the gospel to people who desperately need to hear the gospel. Who, who's the gospel for? It's not just for people like me. It's not just for us really good folks. Who's the gospel for? for who's sinners? All of us. Who did Christ die for? Everybody. Who does God want to be saved? So why do we stop the gospel at, well, I can't go to them because... Hmm. 
We already talked about the risk reward going on with the first century, right? The, the beatings, the, the, the torture, the imprisonments, the death, right? Have you ever studied through, through Paul's missionary journeys? Great. Gospel is spread, right? What happens every time Paul goes into a city? A couple things happen. One, where does he go first? To the synagogue. Why? Well, that's where it's supposed to go. The Jew first, but also to the Gentile, right? And when he's rejected at the synagogue, he goes to the Gentiles. Who comes after Paul? Why? Why don't they like him? Look at his missionary journeys. The Jews come in and they cause trouble and they stir up problems for Paul everywhere he goes. Right? Yet, every time Paul goes into the city, where does he go? To the synagogue. Go over to uh, Romans chapter 10. Make sure I'm on the right one there. Keeping in mind, everywhere Paul went, the Jews did nothing but cause him problems. Romans 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Who's them? Israel. Look back in chapter 9. It's talking about Israel. The Jews. The same people that are causing Paul problems everywhere he goes. What does Paul say? My heart's desire and prayers that they be saved. Oh yeah. Even these ones that are, that are beating me, even these ones that are imprisoning me, even these ones that are going to kill me, my desire is what? That they be saved. Think of Jesus being nailed to the cross. What does he say? Forgive them. That's hard to do, isn't it? When someone is, is persecuting you and somebody is, is, is beating you and torturing you, it's hard to say forgive them. It's hard to say, I wish and I pray and my heart's desires that, that you be saved. And yet that's exactly what Paul said. Because that's exactly what Jesus said and did. We oftentimes in the church... And I've been around the church for well, pretty much my whole life. We get in the mindset of money. You've got to have a program that takes money. And you've got to spend the money wisely. You've got to be good stewards of that money, right? And, and yes, I agree with that. But at some point in time, we have to look at it and say, instead of saying, well, it costs too much to do this, if it's a really good program, it's what God wants us to do. Maybe we just, instead of saying it's too expensive, too, it costs too much, maybe you say, I wonder how many souls we can reach. A missionary comes into your congregation to ask for support, or maybe you've been supporting them and they come in to give their, their report. What is the first thing you want to know? How many were baptized, right? How many folks did you baptize this last year? 
I don't like that question. You know why? What part of baptizing somebody do I have? What, what's my responsibility in that? My responsibility is to do what? To preach the gospel. It's up to that person whether they accept it or not, right? So we ask this, this, this missionary, come in, how many people did you baptize? Maybe we need to ask, how many people did you preach the gospel to? How many folks heard the gospel message? Yes, we want, you know, it's good to know how many were saved because that, that's a soul saved. But you know what? If you save one soul, what have you done? You've done exactly what the Lord has asked you to do. Go and preach the gospel. Do we love God? Boy, it's kind of quiet. Do we love God? Do, do, do we love us? Do we love others? So let me close out with a quotation from Jesus. You give them something to eat.